say something to your heart if, you're, if you have your heart open and listening to him. And that's what we depend on. Amen. Um, so t- today we are wrapping up our series uh, called Jesus Is here on uh, Palm Sunday. We've been looking at a few of these single epic words, these little bitty words that mean a whole bunch about Jesus, that describe Jesus. These are words that Jesus is called in the book of John that reveal something amazing and life-altering about Jesus, if, it, if we let it sink into our hearts. Uh, we, we, we've learned that in John 1.1, 1, 1, he's called the Word. We talked about that in week one. Uh, in John 14.6, he's called the Way and the Truth and the Life. And we're going to look at that last word there, life, today. And as I, I keep reminding us, our, our purpose in this little series is twofold. One, I want us to fall more in love with Jesus. Uh, that's, that's always my goal. I always want us to fall more and more in love with Jesus as we study what Scripture says about him. Now, just studying Scripture doesn't make you fall in love with Jesus. Did you know that? Just studying Scripture just makes you a student of Scripture. But what my prayer is that as we study Scripture, that opens the door to relationship. Right? Like if there's a pretty girl, you think she's really pretty, and, and, and you're not married, and... You're, you, you ask, what do you, want to, what do you do before you approach her? You ask her friends or something about her, right? Some, you, need, you need an in, right? At least I did, right? I had to ask Mel's friends, you know, a little bit about Mel, and that kind of gave me, well, we're, I'm, we're, I'm giving you some information about Jesus, right? And then we're going, you're, hopefully you're going to fall in more in love with him. Um, number two reason that we've been in this series is it is just good and proper, I believe, especially in this season uh, of Lent as we're leading up to Easter. It's good and proper for us to take time just to explore Jesus, to get to know him more, uh, because in a week from now, we are going to be joining the entire planet in celebrating the greatest day that ever happened to the human race, right? When a gravestone rolled away and the Son of God walked out. We're going to be celebrating that, and so we're building up to that. And so I hope, I hope so much that you are inviting lots of people to church next Sunday. Uh, Lots of people, because God loves them, and they're worth it. Amen? God loves them, and they're worth it. Okay. Um, Thomas Akempis, he was a medieval mystic and saint back in the 1400s. Uh, we have any uh, ex-Catholics in here today? Thomas, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So, so Thomas Akempis, you guys already know about him. Um, well, he said something really interesting, and I, I love what he said. Let me see if this will go there. There we go. He said this, we must imitate Christ's life and his ways if we are to be truly enlightened. Let it be the most important thing we do then to reflect on the life of Jesus. And that's one of the things we want to do. We want to reflect on the life of Jesus. I would add a phrase to this so that we can then reflect Jesus because that's really what we want to do. We want to take Jesus outside these doors and reflect him to other people uh, who need to know about his good news. So that's what this series has been all about. We're reflecting on the life of Jesus, the character of Jesus, in order to get to know him better, to imitate him, because he is worth imitating. Um, If you're going to imitate anybody, make it Jesus. Make it Jesus. Last week, we looked at uh, one of the elements of his personal magnetism that Jesus has that was obvious in his life, when you read the scripture, and that is his authenticity. His authenticity. Jesus was real, uh, and that's what truth means. He was real. He was ultimate reality. He was the ultimate ideal to imitate. 
He was free from pretense. We talked about that last week. And people found his authenticity irresistible. They just, they, they couldn't stand being away from him. And he had what Bruce Barton calls a consuming sincerity. Consuming sincerity. So this week as we explore this fourth word, life, that Jesus used to describe himself, we're going to explore another element of this personal magnetism that we see in Jesus. He was life personified. He was life personified. Wherever Jesus went, everything just seemed to come alive around him. Everything. In John 2, he saves a wedding party by turning water into wine. Right? In Luke chapter 5, he makes a house call on this hated Levi, on this hated tax collector named Levi, and, uh, and, and he turns that into a house party. In, in Luke chapter 7, he turns an evening at one of the Pharisees into a dinner party, complete with prostitutes, washing his feet, right? Things just came alive when Jesus was around. He was messing with stuff all the time, right? You may have never thought of Jesus in that way, but he truly was life to the party. He was the life of the party. And, and not just the life of parties, he would walk up to a funeral and like raise somebody from the dead. He'd turn a funeral into a party. He couldn't help being life to the party, whatever the party was about. He was going to be life to it. So what we see is that he was so full of life, people loved to be around him. He was so full of life, people loved to be around him. Most of us know people uh, maybe who are maybe the other way. I think of these people uh, like as de-energizing. <laughs> we all know somebody maybe, you know, nobody here I know, but you know somebody who's sort of de-energizing. After you're with them a while, you just feel like a little bit of your life has been drained out of you, <laughs> right? Like they might as well be that character from Princess Bride, I just sucked a year of your life away. <laughs> and you feel like it, you're just like, thanks, <laughs> right? But then you know those other people too, right? And this is, I know all of you, the energizers, right? Those people you, con- you come in contact with, and they are so full of life that they energize everybody around them. You get around them, you feel like you've had, an, you've had a year added on, cause you, cause just because you've been in their presence. And uh, those, those are the kind of people we'd love to be. Um, uh, a historian named Edmund Morris wrote this famous biography about Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was a president uh, back in the very beginning of the 1900s, 1901 to 1909. And uh, one of the things about Theodore Roosevelt, if you're kind of a history bug or anything like that, he had this famous presence. He had a presence about him. And, And Edmund Morris talks about this. He says, Roosevelt's presence seemed to charge the air around him. And one person back then said that Roosevelt had unquestionably the greatest gift of personal magnetism ever possessed by an American. That's saying a lot. Uh, A British uh, statesman named John Morley compared Roosevelt to Niagara Falls. He said it was like being in in the presence of Niagara Falls. He said their common quality, which photographs and paintings fail to capture, is a perpetual flow of torrential energy. Isn't that something? And he, but, but a personal magnetism. So it was not just like he was hyper and spastic and like, you know, just made everybody crazy. He had a magnetism that was like a, ter- a perpetual flow of torrential energy. It kind of sounds like my kids, a perpetual flow of torrential energy, especially one of them. Um, I, love the, I love the way Edwin, Edmund Morris describes Roosevelt's ritual at the end of the day. Get this. I, if we could all do this, we'd be brilliant. It usually involved reading a minimum of one book before bed, 
he averaged 500 books a year. So bedtime, read a book. After finishing, he would brush his teeth, put his revolver beside his pillow, like you do. <laughs> you know, we'd, like in Texas. The revolver by the pillow. And then he writes, then there would be nothing further to do, and Theodore Roosevelt would energetically fall asleep. <laughs> I don't know what that means, to energetically fall asleep. I don't know how you do that. I've kind of felt that way, but it's more like I've energetically stayed awake all night, you know, if I had too much coffee that night. But um, Morris said that Roosevelt had inhuman energy, inhuman energy. Was as I'm thinking about Jesus and, and this Jesus who is the life, if you want to talk about somebody who literally, in a literal sense, had inhuman energy, it's Jesus. When you read the Gospels, doesn't it feel like Jesus like never stops? He is just going and going and going. He's, he's always in high demand. Uh, uh, the word crowd is repeated 101 times. In, in the Gospels. He's always casting out demons or healing the sick or teaching the crowds or loving on people, playing with kids, whatever he's doing, or defending his actions to Pharisees, you know, trying to trap him or trying to adjudicate some kind of argument between disciples, you know. He's always, you know, okay, guys, here, settle down. Here's what we're doing. He's always playing peacemaker. It's an unbelievable expenditure of physical, emotional, and spiritual energy, and, and I, I forget that sometimes when I'm reading through the Gospels, just how much energy Jesus had. Um, even after a full day of ministry, not, not to mention, you know, the miles hiking through the mountains and the terrain, you know, he didn't jump in his car when he was done. It was, let's hit the road and walk to the next place. Jesus, it said he would often get up early. He would stay up late. He'd pull an all-nighter. Now, we also know that he did value his rest, and he reserved time alone uh, to, res- to pray and receive from God. He knew how important that was. But when he was awake, it kind of seemed like he was burning the candle at both ends. He was going full tilt. At one point, even his own family thought he was absolutely crazy. They tried to stop him. In Mark chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus entered a home, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. (laughs) This is Jesus' family. That's pretty harsh when your mom and your brothers are going, Jesus is out of his mind. we got to take him home. I mean, it was one thing. He keeps saying he's the son of God. He's not eating, right? That's the Jewish mother. He's not eating. And in, in John 4, there's this fascinating dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, uh, again, apparently another time when Jesus hadn't eaten in some time. In uh, verse 31, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, his disciples were clueless. They looked at each other and said, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was food for Jesus, to do the will of the one who sent him. You know, nothing is as energizing as doing the will of God. Nothing is as energizing as doing the will of God. Now, by the same token, nothing is as de-energizing as sin. It absolutely will rob you. I I don't know if you've ever thought about it in, in these terms before, but sin is literally a waste of energy. Sin is a waste of energy. When you sin, you end up wasting loads of energy, not only on the sinful thing itself, whatever that was, whatever that behavior or whatever it was, 
But then you waste loads of energy on things like guilt, anxiety, right? Shame. It sucks the life out of you. Sin sucks the life out of you. It's literally a waste of energy. But the flip side as well is true as well. Nothing is as energizing as doing the will of God. And you know what it's like when you've spent a day doing something for the Lord. You've just got to be his hands and feet out in your community or something like that. At the end of the day, you may be wiped out, but you've never been happier. You know what I mean? It's energizing. It is energizing. It's no wonder that Jesus was so full of uh, life and energy. He was sinless. He didn't have any sin wasting his energy, right? See, when we look at Jesus' schedule, it looks exhausting to us because we'd also be cramming some sin in there, right? <laughs> I'd have just be honest, yeah, right? I'd have all my issues crammed in that schedule too. But Jesus, he's spending it all on God. So when you're not wasting your precious energy on anxieties and shame, you've got energy to spare. Imagine, just imagine what you could do with the next 24 hours if you didn't waste a single ounce of that time on worry, fear, anxiety, jealousy, greed, just that. What if you didn't waste an ounce of your energy on any of that thing? Imagine what you could accomplish in the next 24 hours. I'm telling you what, you would be able to sleep a solid eight and still accomplish more in a day than most people do all week. I guarantee it. And you'd sleep better than ever. There's this guy named uh, Dr. Robert Cooper. He talks about there's two kinds of energy in people. Uh, And this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, He said there's surface energy and there is heartfelt energy. Dr. Cooper says this. He says people with surface energy may be blessed with Hollywood smiles and schmoozing words, but the energy is self-centered and shallow. In other words, it's skin deep, right? It's like the energy you get from a donut, right? It gives you a big, big boost. It hits hard, but it's like it's gone as soon as you turn the corner. It's like donut energy. On the other hand, heartfelt energy, he said, is energy that comes from meaning and purpose in life. This is really, really good to, to, for us to get. Dr. Cooper says, it's the energy that awakens and empowers us. So heartfelt energy is the energy that comes from meaning and purpose in life. This is the thing, like whatever it is that like makes you buzz when you get up in the morning, that you're like so excited, like this is why I'm getting up today. If, if it's that day for you, you can get up. You're excited to go do it. That's heartfelt energy. You've got meaning and purpose in that day. If surface energy, you're kind of like manufacturing it. So how do we experience heartfelt energy? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it's the byproduct Of doing the will of God. Heartfelt energy is the byproduct of doing the will of God. Dr. Cooper says, without heartfelt energy, life exists out there, never in here. So think about that. Jesus is the life. He's the one we want to pattern ourselves after. Heartfelt energy is life that exists in here. Without heartfelt energy, life exists out there, not in here. If you're living just on surface energy, you're like like a boat that's getting rocked around and slapped by every wave. Because where's, where's the action happening? Out there. Right? If you're a little boat, you got no engine, the life is happening out there, and you're the one getting slapped around. 
That's surface energy, okay? So you might be moving around to other people. Boy, they're, they're really busy. They're energetic. But you're not the life of the party. You're the pinata. <laughs> There's a big difference, right? I came up with that one all by myself. <laughs> Thank you. Right. They both look like they're having a good time, but it's only true for one of them. So when you live, when you live from meaning and purpose that blossoms from, the will, from doing the will of God, when you live from that place, you're doing the will of God, and you have meaning and purpose every single day, you know what? You're going to live wide awake. You're living wide awake and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and you're helping by the same token because you're that person who's now life-giving. You're, you're an you're an energizing person. You're helping to empower and inspire people around you. You're not sucking on everybody else, you know, like, like, like a black hole of need. Uh, when, we start, when we start dying is when we have nothing uh, worth living for. When we get up in the morning, we don't really have anything worth living for. That's when we start dying. And so we get so caught up. That's when you get caught up in the busyness of life because you're trying to make up for it in like quantity. You have no quality, so you're making up for it in quantity, and, and, and you get in the busyness of life, and, and then you get into the stress of all the masks you have to wear, right, in front of people, and life becomes sort of a pseudo-life. It's not real life. It's a walking death. It's all surface. It's no heart. That's not the kind of life that Jesus is. When we see the life that Jesus is, when he says, I am the life well, if you just want to see that in action, you look at his life, that is not the way he lived. It's not the kind of life he came to bring us. In John 10.10, 10, it says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The full. If, if you have your, your King James, you, it probably uses the word abundantly, that you have life abundantly. The, the word there in the Greek is this word parisos, and it's, it's a two-dimensional kind of word. It means to superabound in quantity and in quality. To superabound in quantity and quality. That is a full life. You have a lot of life, and it's good life. That's what we want, right? God wants us to be 100% alive. John 10 reveals his purpose. Jesus came to bring life. Notice it doesn't say, I've come to bring condemnation. I've come to make you all feel really bad about yourself. No, he's come to, that you would have life and not just like more days of misery, but life to the full. That's pretty cool to me, right? Here's, here's the great truth in life. We start living when we find something worth dying for. That's when we start living. And here's why it, it's so tragic how many human beings on this planet right now misunderstand this fact and get it backwards. There are people running around and getting up every morning and think that they have purpose because of something, they, they have found something worth conquering for. They get up in the morning with something on their mind that's worth conquering for. Maybe it's a job or career or money or pleasure. It's worth conquering for. Or maybe there's people, and, and we all know there's people on, on this planet 
They've bought into some religion that tells them that purpose is found in something worth killing for. How twisted and demented is that? Something worth killing for. Jesus says, you're born again into eternal life, abundant life, when you discover what's worth dying for. Followers of Christ, we are fueled by heartfelt energy. It's the energy that comes from doing the will of God. It's that simple. We are energized from the inside out. That's the key. Jesus said this in John 4, verse 14. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's like self-perpetuating water or something. That's that's a cool scripture to me. See, the day you discover a relationship with Jesus and you start on that road for the first time, that is the first time you are truly, fully alive and fully awake for the first time. It's just when you decide, I'm going to start on this road. You don't got to have it all figured out. You don't got to be perfect. Just get on that road. You will be awake for the first time. Time. I, I've heard someone say that most human beings, tragically, are most of us are half awake, and we live half awake. Most of us are uh, operating far below the energy level that we were created for. Even psychologists and, and medical doctors know this. C.S. Lewis said this in The Weight of Glory. He said that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. See, religion tells you you want too much. You need to suffer more. But our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures. Half awake, half-hearted. And I would add another one. I think many of us live half alive. We're here physically. We're sort of here present. And, you know, we can see it in each other's eyes when we're half here. (laughs) We're just sort of staring through each other. But some of us have relational parts or emotional parts or spiritual parts that have died. Maybe it was something that happened to you in the past. Maybe maybe, uh, some sort of abuse that you suffered and part of you has died emotionally. Your parents divorced at some critical juncture in your life and a part of you died relationally. Maybe you struggle with some kind of habitual sin. Every time a part of you dies spiritually, every time you fall to it. Well, you may be here this morning, and you may not feel fully alive. I understand. I got good news. God is in the resurrection business. He is in the resurrection business. This is not something we just celebrate next week once a year. Resurrection happens every day. He is in the resurrection business every day of your life. That is what being born again is all about. It's like being a born again, again, and again, and again. God wants to resurrect those parts of your life that have died and bring them back to life. There's this uh, strange (laughs) to me and powerful prophecy in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. He's talking to Israel But he's also, I believe, reaching across the eons and talking to us today. Ezekiel is, he's in a sort of vision. And in this vision, he visits a place called the Valley of Dry Bones. And God's 
working on Ezekiel, and he's talking to him. And the Lord asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? It's a valley filled with these dry bones. And Ezekiel says, you alone know the answer to that. Then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. That is exactly what God wants to do in some of our lives today. He wants to breathe new life into you. He wants to resurrect those parts of you that have died. A few weeks ago, um, well, I guess this was, this was a, a couple months ago now, I was having one of those weeks. Um, we all get them. Just kind of, kind of one of those discouraging weeks, you know what I mean? Maybe you, just, you worked a little too hard that week, you know, and uh, didn't see a whole lot of results for it. Um, a lot of work to be done. Not a lot, it seemed like, to show for it. Just discouraged. Was getting a little discouraged about where, where it was headed. And, um, and God used a person, as he usually does, by the way, it's usually, he usually comes to you in the form of a flesh and blood, blood person that he's moved on their hearts to come minister to you. But he used a person to come up to me and speak into my life just a few words of encouragement, of direction, inspiration. And it was more than just a pat on the back. It was like being shaken awake. Have you ever had those times? And you realized, you didn't even realize you were asleep. You were sleepwalking. But it shakes you awake, and you realize that the whole time you've been dreaming this whole thing, and you've like been in this funk, sleepwalking, and God wants to wake you up. God does that. It's so beautiful when he does that. He wakes you up to his reality. He reminds you of your place in him, and what you're there for, and what you're responsible for, and what you're not responsible for, right? That's a wonderful thing for God to help remind us of. He loves us so much. He wants to give you a growing sense of aliveness. That's, um, that's why Jesus came. And he revealed the nature of God to us in the flesh. Look back at that passage we were just looking at in John 10. It tells why Jesus came. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, let's not skip over that first part. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I think this one verse kind of gets to the heart of this cosmic, battle that is being waged over your life. It's real. There is a very real enemy of our souls that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to return what the enemy stole from you. He wants to return what the enemy stole from you. He wants to resurrect what the enemy has killed. He wants to restore what the enemy has destroyed in your life. Jesus came to bring life especially to people who feel half alive. Jesus came to bring life. Um, a while back, this was uh, several years ago now, uh, I had the wonderful honor of, of going with Pastor to uh, Africa on one of our uh, trips over there to Kenya. And we had a, this one day, we were in the town of Malindi, which is there on the coast. It's part of the Islamic uh, eastern coast of Kenya. And uh, we had a few hours to kind of spin, you know, we had a, had a little break in the day. And, you know, my dad, he likes to, he likes to fish. He's like, hey, why don't we go deep sea fishing? 
Why don't we see? And so, because it's right there on the coast, and there's all these fishermen out there. And so it's, it's pretty easy to find somebody who will take you out and go deep sea fishing. So we thought, okay, well, this will be fun. This will be interesting. I, you know, I haven't done this. And so we're out there in the water. Here we are in, in the Indian Ocean. How many miles out? Where did we go? It was like, yeah, several 10 miles or so. We were, you know, way out there in the middle of nowhere. But, um, but it was fun. So we're here. We're fishing. Um, they weren't biting so well. Um, and so the other interesting thing was the captain of our boat, Captain Muhammad, who it's his boat, and uh, we were, happened to be there. We didn't plan this. We happened to be there during Ramadan. And Ramadan is the Islamic season where they're fast. They fast all day long from sunup to sundown. Uh, no food, not even a drink of water, not a drop of water. So we're out there, and this captain and his deckhands, they're, you know, they're working hard, and they were very kind and nice, and, but they're not eating. They're not drinking anything. And, you know, we've got our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and our Cokes, and, and anyway, and, uh, but the, the fish weren't biting. And this was a problem. And, the, you know, they kept trying to go to these different places, and, and nothing was getting on our line. And, you know, I asked the captain, Captain Muhammad, I was like, uh, so the fish aren't, aren't biting today. And he said, yeah, maybe because it's Ramadan. <laughs> and so I, I said, well, take us to the Christian fish because we want to <laughs> catch something. <laughs> and he was like, ah, ah. <laughs> Ew. Funny little American. <laughs> so, um, but I, I told that story to tell you this. There was, there was this moment I was sitting, I was standing on that boat, and it just kind of hits you. You know, you have those little moments in life. You're like, how did I get to this? How did I get here? And it was so thrilling. I just realized, here I am. I'm standing, you know, I'm on this trip. I've just seen, I'm seeing signs and wonders and miracles, and we're visiting these beautiful churches that you guys built, and, and we're taking these couple hours to be out in the Indian Ocean. I'm fishing. This is so cool. This is so cool. And I felt so alive in that moment. Do you know what I mean? Those moments where you just feel alive. You're standing there staring back at the shoreline of Africa. I'm like, how, how does this happen, right? I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to be experiencing this. This is a gift, you know, and you realize it's, it's just a gift. And it, in that moment, you realize you're living life to the fullest. You just feel like I'm living life to the fullest in this moment. And here's this little lesson that I've learned about life. I've learned when, when I do something I've never done before, uh, a part of me comes alive, even if it was scary, but a part of me comes alive. And I don't know how else to describe it. I, I am more alive afterwards than I was before. Something wakes up. It's like the feeling of standing at the altar, you know, while my beautiful bride is coming down that, you know, you are more alive in that moment than you have ever been. It's, it's the, like the moment if, if you remember back when you moved away from home for the first time, you know, you got your own place or whatever it was, that, that feeling like, whoa, I'm, I'm about to jump off a cliff. I'm about to jump out of the airplane here. You feel so alive when you do something you've never done before. Um, and part of me also feels alive when, when I go someplace I've never gone before. And I just love travel for that very reason. But Jesus gave all of us the, uh, the Great Commission. We, we know he gave us these marching orders that called the Great Commission, which most of us are familiar with. But I think we tend to neglect a command that God gave us thousands of years even before that. And we can think of this as the Genesis Commission. In Genesis 1.28, God tells Adam to fill the earth and subdue it. 
I think that was kind of an invitation to explore. I like to think of that as God's invitation. Explore my world. Explore it. So this is sort of my theology of travel. Um, I know I'm on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but I'm, I'm going to come back. But when you, when you travel in this sense, like you're fulfilling like something God put in all of us to go explore his world. Um, God, God, it, it turns travel into like a spiritual experience. It really does. Adding stamps to your passport, it's like good stewardship of the life God gave you, right? Get out there and, and, and travel. Go see that world. Um, I just happen to believe that God loves it when we enjoy the beauty of what he's created. And part of us comes alive in those moments. Well, coming back, this is true not only of geographical travel, but this is true for, for taking a chance on doing and going where God has called you to go every single day. Every single day. You want to feel alive every single day. You don't have to get on a boat. You don't have to get on a plane. You just need to obey him. If you obey him and go where he says go, every morning, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're listening to this Holy Spirit and you go where he says go, and you do when he says do, and you do it, it is going to lead you into loads of new experiences every single week of your life. Your life is going to be one new experience after the other. It will never be the same old, same old. And you don't have to wait till you go to heaven to experience feeling alive because Jesus came to bring life, fullness of life, abundant life, life that is super abundant in quantity and quality, right here in this life. He wants to bring us life. But we got to be willing to take his hand and, and do something new when he leads us to it. I love what St. Irenaeus said this. The glory of God is a person fully alive. That's the glory of God. A person fully alive. How fully alive are you? Just ask yourself that question. How fully are you glorifying God by reflecting Jesus' life to other people. Because that's how you glorify him. That's how you are fully alive. I want to finish today by looking at three pictures of the life that is Jesus. And, and let's see if we can see ourselves in these stories. Just real quick, three stories. In John 11... Verse 38 says, Jesus once more was deeply moved. He came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I wish so badly we had an audio recording of this. 
can you, I just want to hear those words. Can you imagine that original, I don't know how many decibels he yelled it out, but I can imagine it was loud. I could just hear the authority in his voice when we read this, can't you? I think this passage in, in John 11, it's a picture of what God wants to do in our hearts, what he wants to do in our lives every single day. Every time we sin, part of us dies. We entomb ourselves. Our, our sins are like these burial cloths that are wrapped around the deceased person. And eventually, eventually if we allow sin to run its course, we turn into a mummy it mummifies. That's what sin does. Sin mummifies. It brings death. To just think about sin as, as a right and a wrong is, is a really shallow understanding of, of sin. Sin is not ultimately about do the right list, don't do the naughty list. Sin is about life and death. You understand that? Sin is about life and and death. Sin kills dreams. Sin kills relationships. It kills positive emotions. But Jesus came to resurrect. Jesus came to resurrect. He wants to resurrect hopes and dreams and relationships. He wants to resurrect laughter in your life. He calls us out. He's calling us out. And he unwraps those burial clothes from our life. That's his voice if we're listening to it. The voice that brings life. By the way, First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 reveals, The next time we hear his voice, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. So, we might have some audio recordings of that one. That'll be be fun. Okay. I I love the story about the three friends who were uh, talking... And the subject of death came up. Three friends, they were talking. And they started talking about this. And one friend said, what would you want to hear people say about you as they walked by your casket? And one friend said, I want to hear him say that he was a great father. And the second guy said, I I would love to hear them say he was a wonderful friend to everyone who knew him. And the third guy said, I want to hear them say, look, he's moving. (laughs) An oldie but goodie. This is kind of, this is what happens in our second story, Luke 7. Luke 7, 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Everywhere Jesus went, he's reversing death. Sometimes literally, sometimes spiritually, sometimes emotionally, physically. He's reversing death. Why? Because he 
is the life. He can't help it. He is life. We mentioned it last week. Everywhere Jesus went, people were trying to touch him. The woman with the issue of blood trying to touch him. She touched the edge of his clothes. They were instantly healed, and she wasn't the only one. In Luke chapter 6, it says, The people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. See, that, so that, the story of the woman who touched the hem of his garment, that, that was just one example. All kinds of people were trying to touch his clothes, and he was healing them all. Jesus was so full of life. You, you couldn't touch him without feeling the effects of it. He touched lepers, and they were healed. He touched blind eyes, and they saw. He made the, the mute to talk and the lame to walk with just a single touch. Mark 6.56 says, They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. One last picture. It's from Matthew 27, 50. So his voice brings life. His touch brings life. Turns out even his death brings life. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Verse 54, when the centurion, that's the Roman guard, was standing there watching Jesus, and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. His voice brings us life. His touch brings us life. And even his death brings us life. His death. Maybe the enemy has stolen from you. Maybe he's, he's killed and destroyed parts of you. Maybe sin has buried you alive. You feel like you live in a cemetery. Well, our God is in the resurrection business. The resurrection is not something we're just going to look forward to next week. It's not something that just happens once in your life. The resurrection is something God wants you to experience right now and day after day after day. His death brings us life. His death brings us life. John 5.24 is my final scripture. He says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. See, this, this message is not just for folks who, who've never heard about Jesus who want to get saved for the first time. It definitely is. It definitely is. But it's not just for them. It's also a promise for every single one of you in here today, every one of you who are broken and weary and need a drink of water from the hand of Jesus, whoever hears these words and believes what God has said to us through the person of Jesus Christ, you're no longer condemned to sleepwalking. You're no longer condemned to a half-life. You have crossed over. You belong to the one who is the word, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. Jesus is the word. He's the word. He's that, he's that unbelievable force, that creative force that creates and empowers just, just through being spoken. He's the way to live. He's not just the way to heaven. He's the way to live. 
That's what way means, if y'all remember that. He's the kind of truth worth living for and worth dying for instead of worth killing for. And he's the life that we live, not just something that we learn about. He's the life we can live in Christ, our eternal life. It starts right now. It doesn't start when we die. And he offers you and I this chance every single day to step into that resurrection life, to just accept it all over again, to just let him renew us, allow us to walk in his steps, to just be led by him every single day, the Holy Spirit to lead us. He is that life. Amen? Let's live like we believe it. This week, don't, don't let those people walk past you without inviting them to church. Because next week, we're going to have a celebration. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to love on them. And we're gonna, we're, they're going to have a great time. But their life could be changed if you bring them next week. Amen? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. As they're doing that, I just want to bless you and pray for you. Hallelujah. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you, Father. You, you are too good to us, Father. You are so wonderful. I thank you, Lord God, for sending us your son, Jesus, to die on this cross and then to be raised again so that we can live that life, Father God. We can live the abundant life, the full life, Father God. Wake us up, Father God. We don't want to live half awake, sleepy, sleepwalking lives, Father God. We want to live fully awake with that sense of purpose in our hearts, Father, that knows that that comes from doing your will. I praise you, Lord, for all that you're doing. I thank you, Lord God. Right now, we pray for all the people who will be in this house on next Sunday. I thank you, Lord, that even right now, you're preparing their hearts. You're just, you're giving them a longing for you, a longing to just be around you and hear something about you, to hear some good news, some good news for a change. I thank you, Lord God, that you bring them so that we can be your hands and feet and we can be Jesus to them. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Uh, if you need anything in the whole wide world to, for, for someone to pray with you about, man, this is the time to do it. Come on up here. These are faith-filled prayer warriors. They're going to stand with you and agree with you. And nothing you say is going to shock them. They're just going to stand with you and, and believe for change in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful Holy Week. We will see you next Sunday.
God